what do you see coming in the future uh, that will make really innovation more uh, democratized, at least the formal side of it? Hello, listeners. I am your host, Ziad Matar, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Wirelessly Yours podcast, where I talk about everything tech, business, and design. On each episode, I will take you through how cutting-edge technologies, emerging business models, and the latest design trends are transforming our world and shaping the future. You will also get to hear from my guests about their opinions on global developments and the opportunities they create, as well as their impact on society. Stay tuned for more. Wirelessly Yours. Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to the Wirelessly Yours podcast, my recording about all things tech, business, and design. I am your host, Ziad Matar, and today we will talk about the most important thing that we are going through nowadays. How do we manage working from home, being a parent, and being an entrepreneur all at the same time? And with me in this conversation is Komal Talwar, a very good friend of mine. We've met a few years ago in an in a, in a incredible setting in Jaipur, in India, during a retreat. And, uh, you know, we've been always in touch and catching up. Komal is the founder and CEO of XLPAT and TT Consultant, and she'll tell us all about what she does, how she manages being a super mom, a super woman, and a super entrepreneur. Welcome, Komal. Thank you. Thank you, Ziad, for your very kind introduction. And... Um... I think if I if I have to kind of sum up what I do, I'm I'm uh, a first generation serial entrepreneur in the field of technology, and um, I run two international uh, businesses. And uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs, first generation entrepreneurs, my beginning was very modest, um, and I started really with literally a fund of a thousand dollars. Uh, from my from my own um, home, like, um, you know, my mother was very gracious enough to say, okay, fine, you know, we're giving you this room in the in the house, you finished your law degree, and you want to become an entrepreneur, you want to start something international. Um, so you have a year to prove yourself. And you know, if nothing works out, then of course, you've got your law degree to back back you on. So you started uh, straight from university without any work experience, jumped without, into the yes. entrepreneurship pool. Yes. Amazing. So so I have never worked for anyone and I've never really done a job in my life. So I think I started with a very high risk, uh, high risk journey. And, you know, when the risk is higher, then your passion is also higher because you have to prove you have a limited time to prove yourself. So I think that also gives you like that extra inspiration to to do something faster, to either fail fast or to succeed fast. Um, and Ziad, I think I, I, I you know, I, I belong to an Indian family, but I think my, um, I would, I would kind of give a lot of credit to my parents uh, because they raised both me and my sister as, as boys. Um, and we were literally told at home that, you know, you can marry a donkey, but you have to be on your own feet. So there was a lot of, a uh, lot of stress on being financially independent, you know, working, studying hard. Uh, and I think those are great values to give to to women, um, you know, both in the Eastern and the Western cultures, uh, because that kind of builds your appetite for risk and, and doing things in life, which boys generally do and girls are shy to do. 
Well, I'm very happy also to confirm that, uh, you know, I know your husband very well, Jitin, and he's your partner at work. And so you did much better than uh, than that minimum bar that your parents uh, set. Uh, so regards to him, he's now taking care of, of the kids tonight as uh, I have yes. managed to get you in a very late time slot. So yes. I send him also a nice uh, salutation here. But that, that's interesting because uh, in addition to, you know, of course, already uh, knowing that in certain uh, you know, societies and backgrounds, it's much easier even after you study uh, to say, okay, I will join a, a big corporation or maybe I will just, you know, as you said, uh, uh, get married and then, uh, you know, settle in, into a, a, a mother uh, persona. What drove you to say, I don't want to join the corporate world or work for another business? Why start your own business? Yes, that's very interesting. So, um, you know, when I started the first business, uh, which is TT Consultants, so TT Consultants is an international technology and IP consulting company. And um, when I start, when I was studying law, um, you know, there was this whole wave of outsourcing going on where some of the legal work was coming into India. Um, and patents was a very, very new industry, um, especially in terms of consulting work. And I was kind of exploring different aspects of law at that time. You know, what kind of specialization do I want to get into? And I picked up the phone and spoke to a lot of people across the world. I have a lot of cousins, friends, family friends who are lawyers. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just you're meant to meet the right people at the right time. And uh, I met two of the very top IP attorneys in India at that point of time who were also very good friends who were visiting uh, the city where I lived. And they said, Komal, this is going to be a very niche industry and there are very few players in it right now. So why don't you get into uh, this line of business? And of course, you know, because there's such few firms, why don't you start something of your own? Um, and, you know, as I told you, my investment was a thousand dollars. I just kind of put a website together where I put in my, my services. I hired a girl who managed my website, who managed some of my mailing lists. And, uh, you know, I designed all kinds of campaigns, email campaigns, started reaching out to um, IP attorneys uh, across the world, offering some services which were very specialized at that point of time. And um, thankfully, within a few months, I started making, uh, uh, you know, a good amount of money. Um, and I realized that there was a lot of potential in the business and it made sense to just scale that up. So that's Perfect. how it really yeah. So the proof that really, you know, when you have a good idea, the, the key thing to do with yes. it is to, to try it out and see how it works. And then, you know, the first customer that says yes, the first dollar that comes in is just a proof that you are uh, in the right track. Right. We'll talk uh, more about uh, about your work uh, and what you do at uh, TT Consultants and later also at ExcelPath. Uh, but I would like to talk a little bit more about you know, what I usually uh, call the elephant in the zoo. And in this case, again, you know, we mentioned it uh, right now, uh, working from home uh, during, uh, you know, this last year has been a, a very interesting experiment. And I think that uh, while possibly one would think, oh, it creates a, a better life balance uh, situation because we are at home, we can spend more time with our family and with our kids, especially for uh, for uh, for moms uh, that work. Uh, I think we have seen that it has had the tendency to totally take over our life uh, with the work component. So what has been your experience, both as a woman and as a mother, as well as an employer with regards to your team? 
Yeah. So I think before the pandemic struck, uh, you know, a lot of women were already underrepresented in the workforce, uh, particularly in technology, in the field of technology. And I think the crisis has kind of furthered this, this chasm. Um, we've seen that the retail, the hospitality industry has been very badly hit. And there's a very big percentage of women who were working there, right? Um, and there was definitely a lot of excitement and optimism about work from home and how, you know, uh, uh, given the gig economy and given that work from home will enable women who were who were earlier not able to work because of uh, taking care of their children or other reasons would be able to suddenly come to work and the numbers would increase. Uh, however, I think um, the greater share of housework and the increased uh, childcare responsibility has fallen on women, especially the women who are married and who have children. Um, and all the surveys, I was I was reading a lot, of, a lot of surveys globally, and they're all saying that a lot of women in senior positions or in responsible positions, uh, married women with children, are actually switching to, um, you know, either quitting jobs or switching to less responsibility and kind of cutting down on their, their work. Um, and I think a major reason for this has been this whole work-life balance, you know, before you came to office and you knew you were in office from nine to five and you went back to a normal life and you went home. Uh, but with the pandemic, with the lockdown, you know, uh, there's been no, I mean, the, the whole balance of work-life has really been disturbed for women. Um, and in fact, I, when the, when the uh, pandemic started, I faced it myself, uh, you know, because yeah. there was this of keeping the business on 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 wheels and at the same time i had to i have two young boys who suddenly stopped going to school um and i faced that uh, dilemma myself for how do i balance these two things and both are very important as a mother you also feel very responsible for your children um so i think um what we really did so i have a 35 percent women uh workforce right correct so like, that's the the interesting point as well is how do you deal with the, with that aspect with your employees yeah and and also we've been certified as one of the great places to work for women uh so you know when it when when uh, you know why why they say it's so important for women to be in leadership positions is because you you're empathetic towards towards the problems of other women and when I started facing that dilemma of how I was balancing the two, I started thinking of all the women who were working for us. And we started having a lot of interactions, one-to-one -one interactions with different women. Uh, you know, women who were, who were single but were not working out of the city. They were working in other cities. Um, you know, the problem there was that the parents were not comfortable in them uh, joining back uh, in the office because they felt that, you know, the lockdowns could happen or the situation was very dynamic. So we made sure that all those women could work from home. Um, then we also started checking uh, with women who were married and who had children. And we started looking at their individual challenges. And we started sensitizing their managers, the HR teams, on making sure that they were in, that they were looking at their individual challenges and saying, OK, fine. So I mean, she's more comfortable working 9 to 5. Or she's got kids who are in online schooling in the morning. So we could start from afternoon to night. And we really told the managers to try and stick to a work-life balance and not make them work beyond the you know 8 to 10 hours, which are, which are um, the general work schedule. Um, we also did a lot of online counseling sessions. You know, we also counseled fathers on taking up more responsibility at the workplace, uh, you know, on better parenting tips. Um, we did a lot of sessions. That, that, that should work in all cases, even outside of lockdowns, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I think it would help a lot. 
So I think a lot of counseling and also how do you effectively work from home when you have children? How do you manage your your work routine? So I think those things were very important to kind of set the pace and set the set the the mandate there. And in fact, as a company, we actually hired more women at this time because there was this amazing talent which was available of women who were now reaching out for opportunities to work in companies who could enable work from home. Um, so therefore. Uh, during the pandemic we have actually increased our women uh, workforce and we've got amazing women uh, brilliant women who are working with us now so i think a lot of time you have to take stock of the situation you have to you know like you have to kind of um, have interactions with different different uh, different teams understand what their challenges are and then sensitization i think becomes very important that's very good and and i think that this also brings us to what happens after the pandemic and 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 that uh, you know, environment which I tend to call business unusual because it's not going to be business as usual for sure, and uh, there will be no new normal since it was never normal to begin with. Uh, but it's interesting to say to see that in fact it could be uh, uh, you know uh, some habits that we've gained now in terms of you know the ability to work remotely, whether internally with employees or even with clients. Uh, are going to stick around and in your case you said yes we managed to hire more women uh, that need to stay home uh, and you know post pandemic the situation will be probably the same do you think that you will also be able to hire more people even from remote uh, areas or or, or or even different geographies or time zones now that this model is is a little bit more acceptable Yes, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we uh, we really so we, we were we always had a work from home model even before the lockdown. But of course, there was a lot of difference because I think only 15 to 20 percent of our employees were availing of this work from home benefit. And it was based more on reasons like medical reasons and other reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. And then during COVID, we are 300 employees across the globe. We've got employees in Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Japan, Taiwan south of india north of india and suddenly everybody went uh, online i mean before the pandemic hit and before we thought that the country was going to go into a state of lockdown everybody already had uh, the capacity to work from home um, and and so you know it was a very smooth transition of course we started um, you know um, investing more in digital technologies because when everybody is working from home uh, you also have to have the technologies to be able to track performance uh, you know, track efficiency and other parameters. So I think given that now that so much investment has been already put into digital tools, um, you know, tracking tools, I think definitely, uh, for example, right now, um, you know, the whole Excelpad product development, uh, for that we have global teams. We have a team in Armenia who's working on product development. So this is talent which was just unavailable before. Uh, because a lot of people do not want to or did not want to work from a certain country or a certain city. Uh, but now, given that it's all work from home, I would call it work from anywhere. Uh, a, a lot of that untapped talent is willing to work for you now. And I think that going ahead also is going to be a hybrid model, um, you know, where uh, there's going to be different teams which are going to be required to come to office more than the others. Uh, like even right now, we have a mode where employees are encouraged to come to office only two times a week so that you know so that client so that so that some communication team communication team exercises are better when they are face to face yes. however when they are working on their individual projects they're as productive and as efficient when they are working from home 
So I yeah. think I see this hybrid model going ahead where you don't have to unnecessarily make people commute uh, to office five days a week. You know, you don't have to make them come to office if they're as efficient. Um, but there are certain requirements uh, which are better when they are done in office. And I think for those reasons, people will still continue to come to office. And I guess that, you know, in, in the case of, uh, of your businesses, the fact that you are younger companies, leaner organizations, but also yeah. digital from the get go. Uh, I have seen this with, with some of my businesses as well. We are ready, you know, to switch online immediately. In fact, as you said, most of us are online and I know, you know, uh, I know you've also spent some time working away from the headquarters, you know, on, on certain assignments, like academic work. So maybe now we look a little bit more at, you know, the work in innovation that you do first at, uh, you know, TT Consultants. And then next we talk a little bit about the technology and the innovation that you are bringing to the innovation world through Yeah. So as I said, TT Consultants is an international IP and a technology consulting company. Uh, and we work with mostly uh, large companies, uh, law firms, and startups on their innovation strategy. Um, and, you know, we ran this business for about, we started this business, as I told you, in 2006. Um, and it grew internationally. And in about 2015, we realized that um, there, was a, there was a big wave of AI, machine learning, NLP technologies, which was hitting different industries. And we realized that the IP industry was not really adapting to these new, new technologies. Uh, but at the same time, we could foresee that if these technologies are integrated uh, into the IP industry, it could really benefit and bring value to customers across the world in terms of efficiency, cost saving, and other factors. Um, and we also wanted to kind of bring in a business um, you know, which had a social impact. Um, and let me tell you why uh, why the patent industry, I feel, is the most ripe for these AI technologies to be applied. If we look at uh, if we look at the patent corpus, there are millions of patents which are which are um, filed every year globally, right? Yes. Uh, and so, if I say today, if I have to search through patent data, it's about a hundred million technology documents uh, that I'll have to search through, um, and also millions of uh, journals, uh, research papers, publications, and then uh, all the indexed um, you know, web pages. So if you combine all this data, um, you know, and if, a, in, 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 if an inventor or a student or a company has to actually see whether an idea that they're thinking of is worth filing or not, right? Yes. Or if they're looking at what are the trends in a certain technology? Or what are competitors doing? This is the maze of data through which they have to search. So we at ExcelPAT basically thought that there is, you know, billions of dollars which are spent on R&D and IP budgets uh, every year by companies to navigate this data and to make this data actionable. Uh, and a lot of time is wasted in, in reviewing this data and understanding this data instead of building on strategy. Uh, you know, where the machine can kind of do a first pass for you and then you're spending your time on strategizing by the use of this data. So ExcelPAT uh, is largely what we did was we collected all the world's patent data, uh, all the journals, publications, uh, you know, we indexed the web pages. And then we applied layers of AI, machine learning and natural language processing uh, technologies over that so that um, 
companies, universities, you know, innovators, uh, students, professors, and international patent offices to get actionable insights from that data. So if, if I want to simplify it a little bit, uh, the data was always there and we could search it, you know, the equivalent of no, even the search if on, data, on... Even if the data was there, yeah, the data again was all scattered. So, you didn't so have we had to Google a little bit and, and, exactly. and, so and Bing a little bit. And, yeah. okay. Countries are mostly going into different databases. They have different languages. And then, you know, it doesn't have uh, the journals and the publications the same place. And when you're patenting a certain idea, you have to go through all this data to make sure that nothing exists in the world. So from so, our perspective, we aggregate all the search. Yes. Uh, and then look, from the second data. perspective, where, where does artificial intelligence uh, come in into making yes. that uh, process so smarter? I'll give you an example. So we work, so we are currently working, we are one of the first companies in the world which is working with an international patent office, the Indian patent office. Okay. Uh, now the Indian patent office till a few years ago was spending say about five to six years of average time to grant a patent, right? Now it's come down to about three years. Now what is the problem that the Indian patent office or other international patent offices are facing and why are they deploying uh, AI technologies? Is because there is, there are patent examiners in every patent office who have to decide when you file a patent application whether that application should be granted or not. Now to decide whether that's to be granted or not, they have to go through all the previous, it's called prior art. So all the patents and publications, which could be yes. similar to your idea, right? Yes. You can imagine the examiners going through all this data and they have so many applications to read and so much, so much prior art to read. So where the AI technology comes in is there are some very, very advanced AI technologies, including the BERT technology right now, which is a Google technology for NLP, which is able to read the context of a document. Okay. So through these technologies, the, you know, the AI is able to quickly read through the context of the documents and shortlist a certain number of documents that the patent examiner needs to prioritize and read. Okay. And therefore, reduce the burden to read the documents and more patents get granted in a shorter period of time. And so we augment the ability of the human uh, person in that process by giving them, you know, a priority uh, map of where to look at. And that, that is very effective in, as you said, shortening the time, which is still, uh, you know, three years is a lot of time. So I don't know how much shorter it can get. And, uh, also, and also then look at the money that's being spent. So the international patent offices of are spending up to 10 billion dollars in just the processes that they are following so this People is a to do all of this example it's a very small example but again looking at the burden of the uh, applications on them it can bring in a lot of efficiency in the systems and, and save time and cost and from the other side you have also another uh, i would say interesting innovation through this process to the to the actual innovator, whether it's a company, an inventor, a university, in, in being able to, uh, as I understand from our discussion earlier, in being able to refine or define actually their, their, their invention. So can you talk a little bit more about this? Yes, so universities, for example, I'll take, I'll take a case study. So universities, yes. again, we are working with the leading universities across the world. And let me tell you how things happened before and how the AI technology changes, uh, you know, the landscape of innovation. Now, most universities have a very limited budget on how much money they're going to spend on patenting new applications, right? Which means 
Uh, and also there are very small technology transfer departments in every university, two or three people handling the patent applications. Um, and therefore the process is pretty inefficient. The reason that the technology transfer departments have to handle this process is because uh, it's so difficult to, you need specialization to be able to go through these patent databases to see mm -hmm. what innovations are out there. So now that we've made the whole, so uh, so our system basically, for example, we have a tool called the Novelty Checker, yes. where this, this tool is given to all the students in the university, where they put in an idea in natural language, right? The system is able to read their idea in natural language, use, use AI machine learning, natural language processing, is able to again understand the context of the documents and shortlist a few documents for the student to read. At the same time, the student also gets exposure to what's happening in that technology area across the world. He gets more inspirational ideas. He knows what kind of companies are already working in that area. And therefore, the research becomes more practical and application based. Uh, and also opens up a lot of opportunities for him to collaborate with companies because he knows who are the active companies in that area. So instead of depending on these one or two people in the university who were earlier giving him all this intelligence, that intelligence is now available to him or her in the university uh, with great visualization, you know, uh, very easy to navigate, very easy to understand. And therefore, it's complementing the quality of patents which are being filed in a university where the students are taking more charge of their inventions and are, are familiar with, with what's happening across the world in that area of research. So it seems like we've moved from, you know, a very old fashioned way of, you know, searching multiple search engines to a heads up display, you know, powered yeah. by something like Siri, where we just say, you know, oh, I have the idea. I want to create, you know, the Uber for calculators. That's something else. Exactly. About. So we call it the Uberization of patents, actually. Uberization. Okay. That's very interesting. <laughs> but, you know, what, one thing that I always uh, have a question about, I don't know if we will be able to answer it today, or maybe we'll have a dedicated session to that. It remains a very obscure world. And I, I can imagine even for a student in a university, in a big academic institution who has a strong research background, they still have those facilities and, you know, they might contract uh, your services or, 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 or set up, you know, the novelty checker uh, solution in their systems and, and life is easy. But for an individual entrepreneur, for an invest, inventor sitting somewhere, it's still a very difficult, uh, you know, uh, landscape to navigate. Can I patent this? Uh, is it, uh, where do I patent it? Do I have to go do it everywhere in the world? It takes three to six years, as you mentioned, to do it. Uh, what do you see coming in the future uh, that will make really innovation more uh, democratized, at least the formal side of it, which is, you know, the intellectual property and patent side? So I think, yeah, that's a very good question. And I think, um, again, even right now, the AI technologies that I'm talking about are not like uh, technologies that can do everything for you. I mean, can can navigate you through the entire patent process. So I think it's going to be a very hybrid model uh, where I think earlier, if an inventor had an idea and, you know, um, uh, the patent attorneys, again, the patent consultants, you know, charge you a lot of money. Uh, if you have to follow the seven or 10 steps uh, of the patent mm -hmm. process. I think what AI technologies like ExcelPad are enabling you to do is that, you know, the first four or five steps at least uh, yeah. are guided by the AI machine, but the last two or three steps still require some human curation. Mm -hmm. um, so I think over a period of time, I think more and more of these steps um, will be enabled by technology. 
and i think less and less of the strategic human curation will be required um and i think this is already i think a very big democratization of innovation because if you look at a few years ago um this it was unthinkable for uh, inventors or students or you know professors or just inventors individual inventors to have access to so much data at one place and make it so simple for them to navigate this data so i think it's going to be just like the work from home is going to be a hybrid model i think even the innovation process is going to become more and more hybrid is very good then it's so one last question before we conclude is there a novelty checker light or an, you know a, a way to access the service for an individual uh, perhaps not the full functionality uh, or is this something that you would consider doing so you know during covid again ziad um, we thought that you know there is so much innovation coming out of universities and we really wanted to promote innovation in universities mm -hmm. so we actually gave out a free novelty checker access to universities across the world for those 3 to 6 months of uh, covid and we saw some amazing innovations coming out uh, at that time so of yes. course we have a, a subscription we have a yearly subscription that we license out to companies but we are very very generous with with innovators and and independent inventors um and we definitely give like a one time use or a two time or three time use of the software um right. and would be very happy to extend that to anybody in your uh, in your podcast can can contact us and we could make this special offer just for this podcast uh, we, audience we 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 talk for offline about how we can make this happen but come uh, on thanks again for joining us uh, today i know it's very late for you so i will let you go and enjoy the rest of your evening i uh, it's always a pleasure uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope our listeners uh, enjoyed this session. If you're interested to know more, get in touch with Komal and myself. We are on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram. You know, ping us and we'll answer any of your questions and do let me know if you have any topics that you would like to hear more about on Wild Sears. Thanks a lot.